Hi, everybody. Welcome to the new and improved Fundamentalists <laughs> podcast. We're coming at you live from 2021, not a moment too soon. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with one of my best friends in the world, Dr. Peter Rollins from Northern Ireland. He is a blah, 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 and I am also a blah, 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 blah. and I do things on blah, 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 and he writes things that are blah, 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 and you can find out more at patreon.com slash Peter Rollins, or uh, patreon.com slash the Valley Folk. Uh, we did an episode on kind of what we're talking about today already. We did it. Um, let me make sure my vocal. Yeah, uh, we did it on kind of uh, a loosey goosey episode. But I was in the midst of writing term papers and getting my stuff done, and we did it over Zoom. And we talked about it afterward, and we decided, hey, you know what? We can do it better. Let's take some time off, enjoy the holidays, and then recuperate. And we're back in action now because it was it was actually quite a good one but we did think we could do better our standards i think are probably too high too high (laughs) for what we do yes but it does i was talking about this earlier it's like we do weirdly quality check each episode yeah like we are um whole foods or something we really Mm. make sure or uh what's something that quality checks things a quality checker a quali- we're like quality checkers. Yeah. Uh, that's very good. And so we, we go through and we, we assess afterward a little bit on whether or not it's worthy of being uploaded. And uh, a if- few, only a few, but a few have hit the cutting room floor. Uh-huh. Uh, now, the reason why I liked it was because you were quoting from one of the books you were reading. You were talking yes. about your essay that you were writing. Right. And then we got into all of this discussion about what can you know and how can you know and is there such yeah. a thing as a Western mind and Eastern mind? Yes. It was all very interesting, but uh, we're also doing it remotely. Doing it remotely. And, and my oh. headphones played up. Really? Uh, yeah. So. Well, we'll blame the tools, the craftsmen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it was great because you were, you were uh, coming at me. I you, was feisty. I was you were feisty. feisty, but yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I think you're feisty for things that we... We're agreeing on because uh, I didn't give context, I don't think, but I could be wrong there. So we're going to mm. talk a little bit today about epistemology. Um, if you've seen, if you're seeing this on YouTube.com/slash Elliot Morgan, which is where you can see the video versions of this, the thumbnail might say something along the lines of knowledge or how we learn things. If we can't even know anything, what is the deal with knowing things? Yeah. Can we? Or are Mm -hmm. they just ideas in our heads that have been bred into us from like quote society or like, is it like, cause we like learn because it's nurture versus like all that stuff. And what's to say we're not all living in a simulation. How do we know anything to be objectively true? Um, You like to, you see, you slip that one in because you love aliens and you love, we all live in a simulation. That was more like 2018 Elliot Morgan. I know. 2017 Elliot Morgan. But But if there's one thing I know about Elliot Morgan, he'll cycle back. He'll come back to the the years ago ideas. Um, But I'm interested to talk about this because it is one of those things that is, it is philosophical. Like this is as philosophical, I think, as you can get of a subject matter because it is based this is what you do yeah like this is your area of expertise it's one of the most basic basic as not easiest but most basic questions in philosophy is what can we know how can we know what's the relationship between knowledge and being so what is the relationship if anything between what's going on in my head and what's going on in reality or what is reality nothing so, if yep. anything very little if anything, <laughs> i would say yeah. um so i'm assuming you've you've thought about this a little bit are you got new slippers yeah I, you know what i bought i got these for like 10 bucks 
and they're John Vervados. They I was in their outlet store. I like Vervados, nice. and they had seventy percent off, fifty percent off, and this percent. Da, 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 da. In other go. words, apocalypse time. Uh, the, yeah. the shops, I guess, are just fifty percent off, seventy percent off, and then the peat shelf right under, yep. under that. <laughs> I'm worried. I think what should happen now is that small businesses should just give all of their money directly to Jeff Bezos, because uh, I think they're all struggling yeah. and they're all dying, except for. Bastards. Well, that's a different podcast, <laughs> yeah, but you're okay. probably right. I love that your palette of color right here. You vary between black and gray. Yeah. I'm colorblind, so this means I don't clash for the podcast. If I, if I, if I ever introduced colors into my wardrobe, you, who knows what I would look like. Well, Pete, how do you know you're colorblind? Uh, wow, look at that. That's good. See that? That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you, what, yeah, but wh- yeah. where do we begin with, no- with the idea of knowing that you can know anything? Well, so this came up because you were quoting out of a book, um, an interesting book, but it came up with this notion of the Western mind. And my initial thought was, okay, is there such a thing as a Western mind Uh, as opposed to, say, an Eastern mind? Because then, you know, if there is, you could maybe talk about, you know, a male mind or a working class mind or a European mind. And there, there are some people who think that knowledge can all be reduced to a sociology of knowledge as in knowledge arises mm-hmm. from society it reflects where we come from our age our wealth it reflects our prejudices just a our bundle desires of culturally imprinted upon ideas that you think are your own but are actually you wouldn't have any of those ideas had you not been born at the time and place in which yes. you were born. If it's we'd been born idea. somewhere else. Yeah, if we'd been born at a different time, different place, we'd believe in different gods, we'd have different ideas. So basically our beliefs are contingent, they're relative to our positions, they're particularistic, and they don't have any connection to what's called the universal, right? We, so our beliefs are a reflection of our upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also of our biology. Right. And that's probably, uh, that, that is a bad way to think. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's very popular. I, you notice it all the time. And, and so... The, Would uh, you say it's all wrong? No, that's very true. Because knowledge has to arise from a sociology of knowledge. Like knowledge arises out of a particularistic context. It arises out of the books we read, the language we have, all of the, the, the inputs. Ugh. So it's just whether it's reducible to that because it definitely arises from it. Pete, I'm so bummed. I'm, I missed you so much. We've been apart for like two and a half, <laughs> what, two and a half weeks or something? It's not okay. It's so yeah. nice. It's yeah. just nice to hear you talk about all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pleasant. I'm like, yeah. yeah, what else? What is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, yeah. yes, you, you arise out of it with your cultural, uh, in your within your cultural milieu. Is that the right word? Yep. And then you can then either go, well, I guess I can't know anything because I'm just born, I'm born in the West and the West is uh, scientifically oriented and therefore this and so all blah, blah, blah in there. But any idea I have is, is it kind of is a little self-defeating, right? Like if you start yeah. thinking that everything you think, uh, you lose agency over yourself, I guess. Yeah, that, that's why like in philosophy, often where you start with people is with the rel- is with relativism. You kind of start by going like, "What if we can't know anything?" And then, of course, the first thing you ask is, "Well, the idea that we can't know anything is that true or false?" So if you go, "Well, 
the, the idea that everything's relative is itself relative. I only believe in relativism because of how I was brought sure. up. Then it undermines itself. So it's not a claim to truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it is a you claim to truth. You can't be agnostic because you can't know that you don't know because that implies that you can know something. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've read books 10 years ago. <laughs> I, but th- that's yeah. kind of the same thing, right? It's like the, the relativism. You go, okay, if I know some, if relativism is a relativist, relativism yeah. is an idea that came about because of your cultural upbringing, then I don't know why I hate saying the word milieu because I think I'm pronouncing it wrong and it sounds silly when I say it. But <laughs> like, okay, so I'm following. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So if it's all of that, then you can't have any confidence in it it's just it's just like saying you know i like the color blue it's not making any claim to truth but if you think it's true if you think that everything is relative actually claims some sort of uh truth value has some sort of truth value then it undermines itself so i mean that's a very big but that's where you know if you're in a philosophy class that's a good way to introduce philosophy is going okay what do we do with this um and then you realize that you've got one truth claim, which is the claim that you don't believe there's any truth. Mm-hmm. Go, okay, there's one. But of course, that's not very much. You want to get a lot further than that. Yeah. Um, but the question is, how does knowledge of the universal arise? How do we get to the point where we can make claims to reality that are not connected to our upbringing? And of course, things like two plus two equals four. Right. How do we get to a point where we can say that? Here we go. This is now it's coming back to me. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. And like is two plus two equals four. Is that just an idea that will die with us? Or is that a reflection of something real or E equals MC squared? Is that is that a relative thing or does that tell us something about reality? It's a theory theory of of relativity. Yes, it is. (laughs) So. That was the whole joke. Uh, yeah, that was good. I like Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, very well done, sir. Snuck that one. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be popular in the comedy scene, but you know, yeah, so a yeah. certain small number of physicists would be a first will like if it. it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Hegel, he tries to answer this, the basic question of how do you get to the point where thought and being are connected, and he ultimately very, if I very briefly tell his story. It's almost like a child. A child starts, you could go like, we start with the unconscious, into consciousness, into self-consciousness. And that's what's called subjective spirit. So unconsciousness in this sense is not the Freudian unconscious. It's just the idea that the first experience we have as infants or a snail has of reality uh, is you get sensations. There's no you, there's no object, there's just sensations. And you could call that the unconscious. And that then becomes consciousness and consciousness is where you start to realize there's a world yeah yeah you start to grasp things and then self-consciousness is when you grasp your consciousness as an object terrible day yes yeah yeah because the moment the day whenever consciousness itself becomes an object so that's self-consciousness then for hegel we move into what he calls objective spirit which is the next stage is whenever like a child starts to learn that there are ethical commitments things that like you can't just live the way you want just you know not might is right you can't just hate who you hate love who you love treat people in any way there's a certain clearly haven't gotten to this yeah yeah you'll get there soon (laughs) (laughs) sounds great but like and that's called objective spirit because partly you feel although it's within you the the what's called the categorical imperative there's a sense in which there's some things i shouldn't do even if i want to do them that's something that you feel that's making a demand on you 
And that goes through family. That's where you learn it, family, civil society, and state. And then we get to absolute spirit, which is where a kid... I mean, by the way, I'm using the analogy of an individual, which is kind of just a, an easy way of thinking about it. But uh, is where you go to university and you learn things about science. Mm-hmm. You learn two plus two equals four. And that's absolute spirit. That's where thought and reality are intertwined. So yeah, basically wonderful. what's happened is very gradually consciousness has uh, got to the point where it grasps something that's true. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. I feel like you prepared that part and you spoke it so eloquently, <laughs> but I didn't follow. Yep. I would love to hear the terms again because... Yes. Um, I went through ca- a lot very quickly. You did, and categorical and categorical imperative is cool sounding and i'd like to know more about that and i would like to know more about uh the uh stages that you talked about of going just run if you don't mind if you guys don't mind at home i would like that to be if you could just repeat literally everything you said verbatim oh yeah (laughs) well i'll yeah do it very quickly is imagine for hegel it's almost like we start the unconscious then it it grows truly unconscious yeah truly unconscious like there's there is this very As very an adjective, basic, not a noun. Yes, yes. It's a it's a it's, it's noun a, being the Freudian unconscious. Yeah, and the Freudian unconscious, which being, is not really be a noun, but it's you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm following you in that. Well, like the the unconscious here is just the very first experience of life. It's like what very basic organisms feel. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no subject or object. That's it. So it's unconscious. Babies. Yeah, babies, infants. Like when you're born, there's feelings. My little nephew. Yeah, explosions in their no, body, but yeah. they but no kind of way of organizing it mm-hmm. in the context. Yes. So that's the kind of that's the the abyssal unconscious yes. being okay. being, which then groans and yearns for consciousness. So what happens is the infant, whenever they start to actually perceive things in the world. Uh, they become conscious of objects in the world. That's the next stage. The unconscious becomes conscious. What do you think? Well, I was, I was going to give an aside because yeah. I want to hear the rest of this, and I am listening. Mm. Um, but uh, we're having a drink as well. We're having some yeah. gin and tonic. If you guys want to join along, please. And feel we, free. you know, this is not a lecture. This is a, a conversation. Lecture. It's a conversation. So don't come at sides. me about interrupting Pete. That's <laughs> what I do. All right, and I do it because there's. For every person that's like, I interrupt Pete too much, there's a billion other people that are like, I'm not following what Pete is saying. And I do mean billion other people. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's how big this podcast whatever, is. Whatever, it's growing, it's I don't care. It's massive. It's yeah. doing very well. Uh, it's doing very well. It's so doing that's okay. That's pretty cool. That's good. Yeah, it's doing yeah. pretty cool. Uh, but I got a Christmas present for uh, my brother and sister-in-law for my nephew. I've never had a nephew before. Yeah, yeah. Um, a biological nephew, I guess. Um, but... He uh, is a tiny thing. He's a little mm-hmm. nugget, and I, I got him um, some a, a onesie that says a few yeah. things, uh, and well, some onesies that say a few things. One is a bib that just says, uh, "What is it?" Uh, one is a bib that says this again, no. which is pretty funny. But I got him a onesie that just has the words. I don't even know who I am. Oh, perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I was like yeah. a baby who's either laughing or crying, but wearing a onesie that says, I don't even know who I am, to me was one of the 
funniest things. <laughs> that I, is I've, brilliant. Uh, and I gave it on Christmas. Like, this is what I guess. It's it's crap. I, I ironed it on, but it, I think it's wonderful. So that yeah. so I did a Hegelian uh, uh, subliminal message That's to my it. nephew because so because unconsciousness it has consciousness in it, but like in a very primordial way. Just, yeah, it's just a thing. Just, just a thing. I don't know. But it eventually, it, the, the kind of the antagonism gets bigger and bigger until consciousness erupts out of unconscious. The baby doesn't know who it is in consciousness, it, but it starts to know there's a world. So I have a nephew, and whenever you put on now a bit of emoji yeah, uh, of a, you know, a comic face on your phone, right. he loves it. Because it's because he can identify it as an object in the world. He can read it. Super easy to read a mm-hmm. cartoon face, and he's so now he's he's actually identifying things in the world. That's yeah. consciousness. And then comes out of that because there's a out of there's a there's an implicit self consciousness because there's a receiver of what's happening. Self consciousness is whenever you become conscious of your consciousness, you become conscious of you as a receiver of things. So that's self consciousness. So those are the first three stages. That's subjective spirit. Does that sound, how does that sound? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Subjective now, spirit. Okay. Yeah. A subjective spirit. Um, I am nothing. I am me. Oh, I am me against the, I am me separate from everything. Yeah. Else. It's I almost guess. like, it's almost like there's no me or not. There's just, a, 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 it's like taking a very heavy MDMA or something. You just, there's just experience mm-hmm. that's unconscious. Then there's, oh, there's stuff. And then there's, oh, I I, I am here experiencing stuff. Those are yeah. three. Yeah. Um, now, that's all very messy in real life, but I'm just simplifying. Yep. I like it. I think yep. you're doing a great job thus far. Yeah. So the next stage is objective spirit. And this is where you start to feel. And by the way, this is all going on inside your head, right? Because philosophers always start with inside your head. You don't presuppose the existence of anything. Just, just in your head. Mm-hmm. I think therefore I am. Yeah. That's the yeah, Cartesian thing, yeah. So that's very, very philosophical. Mm-hmm. Some, um, the next stage is, as a child, you kind of start to learn that I have to be nice to my siblings. I have to be nice to my parents, right? In other words, and you internalize that. You start to feel like, you know, might is right ethics is where you can just do whatever you want. I might is right if I'm stronger than you, I'll just do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the child eventually learns and experiences uh, something that stops them from doing that. That's the categorical imperative, Mm -hmm. right? This demand that we all feel that there's certain things we shouldn't do. Superego. Yes, superego is connected. That's kind of this voice of society. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the categorical imperative is maybe even more basic than that, but but the superego comes out of the categorical imperative. Gotcha. Um, And there's three of stages, there's family, because you start off by caring about your family, but you don't give a shit about anybody else. Then civil society, if you're, you know, if you're growing well, you'll start to care about the people outside your family and eventually the state. <laughs> if you're not a psychopath. If you're not a psychopath. And then eventually you care about your neighbor, which is the enemy, the, the person who's not like you. Yeah, and that's when you get into the, you care about your a neighbor, your enemy, the uh, the the thing that you don't understand. Yes, that's where, and you, and it's objective spirit because your neighbor, even if your neighbor's just in your head, is other than you. There's something that is making a demand, that is saying, "Do not murder me." Uh, Manuel Levinas says that that the face of the other always says, "Do not murder me." Uh-huh. It's like there's something that I have to, I don't have to obey, but I feel it. If I disobey it, isn't that I interesting? Yeah, yeah, and that's really interesting. We're a weird little. <laughs> organism aren't we yeah 
And that's objective spirit. Okay. And then finally, we get into what Hegel talks about as art, religion, and philosophy, and their absolute spirit. That's where our thoughts begin to actually describe mm-hmm. the way reality is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when All you right. get to that point, then we have got to this point where thought and being intertwine. Our thinking and reality are one. Now, this is a very, it's a very difficult, because that's the journey of consciousness. I mean, I'm a big fan of this last part. Right. Yeah. I like it so far. Mm. But I mean, are you saying you, that your thought influences reality? Ah, that's a, you know, when you get to the end point, Hegel would probably say that you realize that you are the universe thinking itself. Well, enough about Hegel, Pete. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I would say that. That I would say that we are... The reason why thought and being connect uh-huh. is because uh, we are the universe thinking itself. So our thought and reality okay. have the same texture. We did do the right call by letting this be the podcast. Is that, yeah, yeah. This is much more systematic than our... I like the systems. way... We, I like when we agree more than when we... Uh, yeah. fight and I know it's, it's scream upsetting. at each other yeah. and get so upset. <laughs> um, okay, so... Yeah. And this is in contrast to what C.S. Lewis calls bulverism, which is the idea that bulverism, he, he made up a figure. He said, he said, there's a worldview that's so prevalent in the 20th century, but you can't pin it down to a thinker because no thinker really thinks this. But it's the, the idea that everything we believe is connected to the sociology of knowledge. It's all connected to... to to how we were brought up. So he, he invents a figure. He says this guy, Ezekiel Bulver. And Ezekiel Bulver, when he was a kid, saw his parents argue, and his hus- the, the, the husband or the wife said to the other, you just think that because you're a man, or you just think that because you're a woman. And Ezekiel Bulver went, that's right. We only think things because of our position in society. Mm-hmm. And so he calls it Bulverism. Yeah, that's some hilarious stuff mm. that I wish uh, I, I or one of my more talented contemporaries would have come up with. But the fact that C.S. Lewis did it on his own yeah. is, of course, wonderful. And also, C.S. the whole history of C.S. Lewis uh, with working alongside Tolkien and the sort of creative circle that they had where they would kind of throw things out and then Tolkien was like quietly working on this giant mythology that they were like yeah no keep doing that (laughs) so crazy and that and i rewatched the lord of the rings um like six weeks ago uh and it's i mean i'm not gonna read the books i'm not a nerd but like it's so good like it's so great and c.s lewis is another example uh was a friend and they're they're coming up with these things and like screw tape letters is still on my shelf and i love screw tape letters i love the idea that this dude was like i'm gonna make up this idea of a demon and i'm gonna write letters as a demon yeah that kind of stuff is just like oh my goodness yeah like give it like it's so fun it's so silly and it's so out there and it's done with such confidence that when you read it you're like oh shit this dude's speaking like some real truth like this is some genius stuff even if i don't necessarily agree with uh he went a little didn't he go he got he got because he became the father of apologetics like the father of of christian apologetics yeah it's a it's a really interesting story like c.s lewis is fascinating he's not as good as some religious people think he is and he's not as bad as some other people think he is like he's religious people he is the smartest yeah 
yeah. being. Yes. I mean, he was <laughs> definitely very smart. He got his double first, I think, from Oxford. And um, yeah, he's very smart, but he's not like, yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I did a festival about him and I read literally everything. You did a did festival him. about him. Yeah. What was that about? What yeah. was it called? It was called, oh, I forget what it was called, but it was in Belfast and it, cause he's a Belfast man. Yeah. I grew up just around the corner from, yeah. from where he grew up and, and I think there's so much interesting stuff in his work. So we had the, the whole thing in the place. He had his honeymoon with joy and, cool. it, and it overlooks the forest that inspired Narnia. And so there's all of this interesting history in the place that we did it. Well, do you think you would like him as much if you didn't grow up around the corner from where he... I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. know. Maybe not. But he was maybe a very good writer. Maybe you're just a product of yeah. how you grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... And this is... That... This is important yet to... The, the reason why actually... His essay on Bulverism is really interesting. But the reason why I would slightly disagree with it is, is that... Well, Hegel is attempting to show that we are all products of where we grew up, but we eventually, gradually, through very hard work, we can transcend it. So, well, so Pete, the universe yeah, comes out of particularism. What was that? What did you say? Oh, yeah. So the the universal arises out of the particular. We eventually, through hard work, if if we do philosophy or whatever science, we get to the point where we can make real claims about reality. Yeah. That transcend our prejudices. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Isn't that good news? Mm-hmm. That's great news, mm-hmm. right? Like for people who are like, uh, uh, I mean, I feel a little bit in my life, like there's a smorgasbord of beliefs and ideas that you can take from. And it's so fun to do the thing of like, well, I believe parts of this and this because it keeps everyone happy like oh, if yeah. you can be like i believe a little bit this I, of course and i believe and but i don't really know and, but it allows you to not take a stand for anything so w- when i hear stuff like that that hegel is saying that you can yeah. transcend this particularity or what, what, what did you call it particular yeah yep transcend the particularity yeah. and you can land on solid ground so you're saying as a philosopher that there is objective truth you can land on. Yes. Yes, but. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the buts is, but the problem is. I'm so is, glad you're doing the majority of the talking on this because okay. I've already had like two beers before this and you gave me a gin. So I'm just like, yeah, keep I know, talking. But I, you know, as this makes it dry. If I'm the one talking, it's dry, oh. you know. So you I know. know what the people want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. The pro one of so the the problem with someone like Stalin, right, is it's here Stal- we go. Yeah, <laughs> is name it, one. Name one, right? There's one problem with Stalin, right? One of the issues with Stalin was he wrote this famous paper on dialectics. The problem is he saw himself as standing outside it. He saw himself, and this is always a problem with the left. A potential danger of the left is, and it's called progressivism. Um, is the danger as it's described today, the ideology of today, is progressivism has a sense of where things are going. It kind of knows where things should be, right? And you, so there's a, we know where, where, where it's going to land. Yeah. So this is a very Stalinist notion because whenever you know where it's going to land, you can sacrifice things, right? If, if, you're, if you're an instrument of history, if you, have a, mm-hmm. if you have like a privileged insight into the universal, you know where everything's going, then you go, right, we can do whatever it takes to get there. Hegel says something slightly different. Hegel says the universal arises gradually, 
So you, you only can know how the universal is erupting in the present. You don't know where it's going. You, but so he talks about the, he says the oil of Minerva spreads her wings at dusk. What? The oil of Minerva. Oil? Oil. It's the Northern Irish accent. O-W-L. O-W-L? <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about olive oil. I was no. like, what? How now, Brian Coy? The oil. owl? The owl. The owl. <laughs> <laughs> I can't right. say it. Owl. It Good sounds Lord. weird when I say You say Malou. It you know sounds many, weird. You uh, know how many things you've probably said that people have the totally wrong idea of because they thought you were talking about a refrigerator when you were talking about something totally different? Okay. <laughs> well, so the, the owl, owl. owl of Nerva spreads her wings at dusk. Yes. The owl, yeah. yeah. Which is philosophy understands backwards. Philosophy looks at what's going on and it, and, it, and it understands. So it's moving forwards, but you don't really know where it's going. So the universal for Hegel is always erupting. You're always discovering truth. You're always mm-hmm. moving towards it. But if you start to think you know where everything's going, then you're in danger. Mm-hmm. So kind of, it sounds weird, but it's like the universal is constantly arising. It's where it's a struggle. And we're learning more and discovering more. Supervenience? Supervenience. I don't know that term. Um, Oh, supersessionist? No. No. uh, And then um, I'm throwing out some terms. Go for it. That I've heard that I forgot. You know, when you read something and you're like, hold on to this for the podcast. (laughs) Uh, The idea of um, emergence, theory of emergence. Uh, different layers that that can supervene on one another in a causal ways that are unpredictable. Yes, that's very that emergence C? theory is very key. Yes, CP I've yeah. read. Yeah, so it's it's almost weirdly like its destiny is always in the past. So there's this contingent movement in the in the future to the towards the future. Yeah, uh, but we can kind of look into the past and make. Uh, we can see, basically, we can see how the universal is gradually arising. What do you do, though, when you see the patterns over and over again yeah. and you see the ways that they play out? It's a very hard task to be like, we don't know what's going to happen this time. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, yeah. even though we've seen this shit a million times. Mm. And it constantly plays out the same way. So it's like, but that's different than I think what you're talking about. What you're talking about is something beyond that. And you can use history to, of course, prob- d- deduce with probability what's going to happen in yeah. the future. And, and the ultimate truth. Whatever that means. Yeah. The, and the ultimate truth for Hegel, what he calls absolute knowledge, is where you realize that the, tr- the truth is dialectics, is the, contra- is the movement itself. So you but you can land on some truth besides just arguing. Yeah. You can add, yeah, but the truth you can add. So, for example, right, Marx is a Hegelian. So, when Marx does uh, looks critiques capitalism, his main thing is like, what is the contradiction that exists in the in the economics? Right. And if we just see the contradiction, just seeing it, just look at it, just look at it, hey, just bring it to the surface. There it is. And yeah, and that that will change it. That's a very Hegelian thing. Now, Marx wasn't fully Hegelian, so he. he so he he um, gave in to the temptation of utopia a couple of times, but but he marks it as best. What a devil! Yeah, <laughs> this idea that we could. 
there's a line in um, from God's perspective by the philosopher Bo Burnham where uh, he says, uh, uh, "Couldn't life on Earth be like heaven? Isn't just the thought of it worth a try?" Oh, I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. that was that was a very good. That was an hour long special he yeah. did when he was really young. Yeah. I don't know if he's. It's it's upsetting. Yeah, it's it's. It makes you think about certain things. It makes me think about certain things about the the ways that um, people can do such incredible works of art at such a young age, yeah. uh, and it stands the test of time. And I still listen to that song and that special "What" by Bo Burnham is, is yeah. incredible. I when I watched that, I was like, I think this is a moment of genius, and I'm kind mm-hmm. of almost worried for him that he'll never he, reach that point and again. He knew it. He's, he was self aware enough to know that he. He, he hit on something. It was a genius move. It's like whenever a mathematician or a philosopher early on hits on something that yeah. they can never get back to. It was when I, the first time I saw that special, I, w- I remember laying on carpet on just with a pillow and be like crying and being like, this is, there's, I can only hope in my lifetime to do yeah. something as good as what he did. Yeah. Um, it's an inspiration. It's, just, it's, it's something to keep in mind. How to do it. like, and it was you put me onto it. You show, you said watch this, yeah, watch this. and I was like, um, oh my god, that was very Jeez. impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the age doesn't even yeah. affect me. It's just the sheer quality of it is so. But anyway, yeah. yeah anyway, yeah, yeah. How do you um, know anything? So, uh, so Hegel, you're yeah. you're leaning into Hegel here. I am. I am. Because I'm a I'm a Hegelian. Now, what would be for the sake of the podcast and the conversation, what would be like the opposite view? Like what would be the critique if we're talking about dialectics, that oh, yeah. the truth itself is within the contradiction? What would be the contradiction to the Hegelian view of epistemology? Okay, that's very good. Yes, yeah, so a few oppositions, right? So some people might want to argue with Immanuel Kant that that ultimate reality is unknowable mm-hmm. that language cannot penetrate to reality and so you would say but you would probably say can't even didn't believe that well no i think can't did but yeah this is funny because this is part of the discussion we had right. in the podcast that didn't go out um is it so can't right can't is really interesting one of the greatest philosophers he argued as you know because you've been reading with Kant, he argued that um we we can't know ultimate reality but we can know what he called a synthetic a priori, which is we can, we can know things. We can have a basis for science. We can have knowledge of how things work. But it falls short of uh, the penetration into reality itself. So, yeah, so he, he, he talked about the There's lumina. no relationship between the outside world and your telescope in your brain of what you can see right like you can get kind of a uh, an accurate glimpse of it but you're not really a part of it yes yeah it's, it's weird right? so yeah he because he like he wanted to and this is the bad reading of Kant. this is what we're talking about by the way Kant was what 1500 1600 something like that 16 i'm always bad 16 17 17 yeah. maybe yeah so 1700s i think okay uh, so 18th century um but I might be a bit wrong, but he was basically just before Hegel. Enlightenment era. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's kind of like, he's like the birth of the Enlightenment, yeah. actually, is Kant. And the bad reading of Kant is that Kant is a subjectivist. That Kant is the one who says we don't have access to reality. We And so he's the birth of postmodernism, all that stuff. 
But Kant's actually trying to overcome that. Kant wants to say, yes, we can't know whether God exists or whether the universe uh, has a is beginning a and all of that. Yeah, or is a simulation. We can't just don't have access to that. But what we can know is uh, things like E equals MC squared. We can make claims as to how reality functions, but we can't know what it is in itself. And then, so there's people who say that, that's called epistemological humility, mm-hmm. where a lot of religious people will say that is you can't know the mind of God, right? You can't know the, oh, the, the mystery. Yeah, yeah the mystery. And then, and then there's some people who would say that, um, and this is the New Age response, not response, <laughs> the New Age approach is that uh, there's a holism, everything is one. There is no contradiction. The contradiction is just an illusion. Um, everything is... Uh, interconnected in a balance. One of my least favorite things about Jung is the influence that has been, I guess, ascribed to him, and for for good reason, of the New Age movement mm-hmm. that has purported that, I guess, there is a wholeness, a oneness, a ultimate um, balance utopia that mm. is achievable if you can get just get rid of all your thoughts just get rid of all that clutter just get yeah, rid yeah, of all yeah. those things and just become one with the universe uh it bothers me i don't feel like that's what he was aiming at and i don't feel like it's uh true but because at the core i do think is a contradiction i think that if anything there's a contradiction there that is a I- insolvable like it, you can't get past certain. Uh, anyway, that's my yeah, yeah. my take hun- on the whole thing. A hundred percent, and this is why I'm excited about you going deep into Jung I'm because in there. yeah, Jung needs to be either rescued from that or developed out of that because that s- certain people have taken him in that direction and that's not potentially good for him. Um, but I think there's an element of that in him, but it's probably also an element that of that that's not in him. Uh, yeah, there yeah. is an element of that in him that is like, like point blank, like he, I think would have leaned that way yeah. at times. But, um, also I would say, speaking of not good for him, he's been getting a lot of work lately. Do you know about this? No. What's this? He made an appearance. He's gotten cast in a Pixar film. Oh, wow. I didn't know this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. A Pixar film. That's yeah. one of the, they're a hugely popular production company. Yeah. And uh, Carl Jung, uh, it was cast in the recent Pixar film Soul. Um, so it's a speaking a, role. A person called Carl Jung or Carl, Carl Jung? Jung with a mustache. Who is in the Pixar? In the, in uh, the Pixar no film way. Soul. And I tell you, oh, if people keep recommending this to me. I should re- watch this. Oh, thing. you're gonna hate it. I it's know, so I, I it's feel so bad because people recommend, and I'm like, oh, I know I'm maybe you're gonna, not. Gonna- you're gonna, you should like <laughs> it, but you won't. And I, I no, know. it is really good. <laughs> but uh, I was on a plane because my my dear sweet bomb came up with an idea to do like a movie recommendation thing where the family all recommends movies and we all watch it. I don't know if she's watched Soul yet, but all the kids have. And because my brother messaged me, and he was like, "Carl Jung makes a cameo," and, uh-huh. and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "That's so weird." Carl Jung makes a, a little uh, joke in it, and yeah. he makes a joke that's not appropriate, that's not uh, in line with his psychology, but it's uh-huh. a very sweet joke, and he's in it. Like it's so cool. That's very like, good. Carl Jung of all people in yeah. a Pixar movie. Who would think it? Anyway, I'm gonna have to watch it. Yeah, I really 
detoured the conversation just to get around to talking about soul for yeah. a second. But. Well, and, and here's the thing. Here's my argument for why. Okay, so some people think everything is one. Some people think everything is multiple. Hegel says everything is not one. Yeah. Every the, the one is not one, which is A does not equal A, which means like... If A equals A, if there's no contradiction in reality, there is no time. Because time is nothing but entropy. Time is 100%. nothing but the measurement of change. And so as far as I can see, one has to assume that reality is in a type of war with itself. I think it's just, it just has to be the, the case. But um, but but it takes a long time to see that we're getting to the season. This it feels like the season finale, season finale of the yeah. fundamentalists. <laughs> but I'm like, are we coming? We're landing on a cosmological uh, mm-hmm. purpose for uh, yeah. I mean, time. If yeah. you want, we should have a whole episode on, on time. Yeah. yeah, on time. Yeah, because it is a, a creepy. Um, time is creepy. The whole idea of the the physics and the theory of relativity and superstring theory and all that stuff and how time does warp it, it it's a little weird yeah yeah it's a little uncomfortable for me to, to to really wrap my head around and it reminds me only of my place in this my speckness in the universe so that's my yeah diatribe on that but anyway what can we know and how do we know it how okay. does the average joe pete know to that they can land on truth. And also, here's another thing. Hegel, in seeing this contradiction, other people think there's no contradiction. Yeah. So there's a contradiction between the no contradiction and the contradiction. And then so so some people say there's no contradiction. Some people say we can't know either way. And Hegel says we can, right? So those are three the three broad positions. And and Hegel's saying that like contradiction is the end point. Like it is always going to be contradicted. There's always going to be a uh, uh, never-ending barrage of unsolvable problems. Yes, that cool. kind of gets That's deeper fun. and deeper and deeper until the insight that it's it's part of reality itself. Which you could say, you know, we've talked about it before, but mathematics has got there with the um, uh, with Gödel's kind of incompleteness theorem. I wonder what that is. Yeah, which well, it's really fascinating. So in mathematics, Gödel basically has a proof that shows that mathematics works on axioms, basic axioms that produce results, Mm -hmm. but that mathematics can't justify its own axioms. When it tries to uh, prove its own axioms, it falls into contradiction. And some people would say that just shows that mathematics doesn't explain reality. Yeah, or doesn't explain reality or isn't there yet. But the more radical position is to say, no, it is there. It shows that that contradiction is hard baked into reality mm-hmm. itself. And then of course in physics, you've mm-hmm. got wave particle duality. And then uh, we've talked about it before, but democracy mm-hmm. is, is um, a type of uh, contradiction within the social body where like differences that can't be reconciled creates forward momentum for society. <gasps> so cool. you know? uh, evolution but is the biological name for it. There is forward momentum though. Mm. Like even Hegel would say you do transcend the, participate or the uh particular you do you can't go to a more universal thing so there is growth that can happen there is a sort of evolution as you would say that can happen as a result of these clashings yes it's kind of like a it's a it's a it's a forward and backwards motion so in psychoanalysis say someone has problems with being sick and digestion that's a very common thing right so someone has a problem with they're throwing up all the time doctors can't find out why 
And then through psychoanalysis, they discover that there's something that they can't digest within their thinking, something mm-hmm. they haven't been able to metabolize, be able to put into words. And it's partly connected to their job. It's partly connected to some trauma in their workplace. But then that connects with the trauma connected to when they were children. Mm-hmm. And then that connects with the trauma that is being itself. So what's happening in, in that? And But by the way, every time you overcome, so you, whenever you realize that you can't digest something in your life, you, you're no longer sick, right? So you overcome that contradiction of your body. Mm-hmm. And then you overcome, you overcome. So you're moving forwards, but yet you're also just moving deeper and deeper and deeper into more and more intractable problems until you you get to the most intractable of issues, which is death itself. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, it's fine. I yeah. Get it. You die. You die. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. You uh, know, funny, that it's not that big of a deal when you don't like life. That's the funny thing. It's like the problem is ma- imagine we all start liking life. Then, then death becomes a real issue. It becomes a real fucking headache, right? And mm-hmm. and that's and that's ahead of us. That's why Shizek says, "Don't worry, we'll we have more problems ahead." It's like if we start to enjoy our lives, then then it, we overcome one contradiction, like alienation in the workplace, but then we encounter another contradiction. Yep, over and over again. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a podcast, and I won't tell you what it's about, but the title is "This Union Life," and it is they're great. <laughs> Uh, but they were, they used a term that I really liked they were talking about the QAnon, uh, conspiracy and truth, uh, all truth, uh, hundred percent, uh, that is truth. Hmm. But, uh, they were talking about how there's almost a casual, oh, by the way, the funny thing is there's always truth in conspiracy. There's not, not in the content, but in the form, but anyway, keep exactly. going. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm. yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Uh, but there's a the term that they use that I really liked, and I think it describes a lot of what I've experienced in my upbringing in the South is a casual suicidality or a casual uh, cat you being casually suicidal. Like there is a sort of um, ugh, your time to go, your time to go. You know, mm-hmm. like when it takes me, it takes me. It's time to go. When it's your time to go, it's your, you know, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to not, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to do that. You know, because you know what? If it happens. It happens. It's, hey, it's no big deal. If it's God's time to take me and it's my time to go to heaven, I'm going to go. And it always is wrapped around this idea that death is not that big of a deal. And in actuality is the opposite. It's actually wonderful. Like, oh, my God, just bring me death. Like, just kill me. Like, if Mm. only, like, it, like, just die. And it's like, oh, that's a little suicide. That's a little suicidal. That's a little cool way to be like, I would rather be dead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is, that is interesting. We should do an episode on death. Anyway, any takeaways, any, any thoughts on what time or how are we doing? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. We're, or did you have a, did you have any other thoughts? No, I forgot what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, theory of knowledge. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can know things. That's my big takeaway. Right. I, I would have said that before. I don't have any grounds to speak about it in regards to Hegel or anything, but mm-hmm. I think you can have a certain... I actually... Here's my big takeaway. Mm-hmm. More of a prediction. I think that in terms of where we are at in the scope of our existence as a species, we may be closer to knowing a lot more very soon, but I could be wrong. Because in the at the end of the day, well, do you think aliens are going to tell us? 
I might think a lot of things. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Rattle around in here. But uh, I, I think that we will figure some stuff out very soon only because I don't believe there's some utopia we're going to get to. But the, I think there is enough contradiction currently happening in different areas that will amount to a result that is beyond what anyone could ever possibly predict. Yeah. What that looks like, I don't know. But I think that the search and the journey is what's important. And I hope everyone continues to try to find, uh, to just keep keep doing things. I think yeah. that's the, I mean, that's the whole goal of the podcast, right? Is to get people to go out and engage with life and engage with their contradictions, the stuff yep. that challenges them. Uh, what do you got? Oh, yeah, just, I guess, similar to you. Like, when I was younger, I was probably more drawn by the idea of epistemological humility, the idea that there's that we don't have access to reality. But the deeper I went into philosophy, the more I was like, actually, I think that we are the universe understanding itself. And that means that we are... And it's very beautiful. It means that it's we beautiful. human beings are like... Instead of just like floating around and we die and um, we're, we don't really have much of a purpose, it's like, oh my goodness, we are the universe over 14 billion years striving and yearning to come to an understanding of itself. And we play this small part in that cosmic self-understanding of the universe. And I think it's very, very beautiful and um, I think that it's philosophically justifiable to think that. Wow, that's beautiful, and it bums me out because it's, I have nothing to disagree with there. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's, uh, and I also would extend it. I would say the only thing I would add is yeah. that it probably extends to each individual, which is a pretty cool way to go through life, going, oh, okay, so that's my job. Okay, it's nice. Yeah, I think Very it's good. good. So let's have another drink and uh, Bye, say everybody. goodbye to everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Great episode, Pete. Let's post this one. <laughs> yeah, let's do it.